it is true that, you know, sometimes you just have that great moment where it just flows out of you and the creative muse strikes and, you know, it just feels right. And it's there. What I find though, is that that moment can often be triggered by doing the work for a little while rather than like sitting around passively and letting it hit you just at random. This is the Gently Mad, a show where I talk to and pick the brains of the smartest people running creative online businesses. Actually, not so much. If you're looking for that inspirational kick in the pants to help take your life and career to the next level, then this is probably not the place for you. To be perfectly honest, this podcast is about me. Hey, I'm Adam Clark, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening. I do talk to people on this show, but instead of that double rainbow of success BS that you'll get in most entrepreneurial shows, we talk about failure, self-doubt, and all the insecurities that we all have that keep us from doing much of anything with our lives. If that sounds like your kind of thing, then head over to avclark.com slash TGM and subscribe. Any actionable advice or helpful tips are simply a byproduct and purely unintentional. How's it going, guys? Welcome to the... Can't talk today. Welcome to the Gently Mad. I was trying to say happy Wednesday and welcome to the Gently Mad at the same time, and it all just kind of... Yeah. So, happy Wednesday to you, and welcome to the Gently Mad. I'm Adam Clark. I'm your host. Thanks for listening, as always. I'm glad that you're here, and I hope you've had a good week so far. We have a great episode today. The Mr. James Clear. Man, I am just not talking straight today. Mr. No the, like no sir, no anything like that. Just James Clear, I think, is is, is good enough. Uh, James Clear is on the show, and I had a great conversation with him. I think you're going to enjoy it. This is one of those ones that's just like, geez, man, if you're going to try to listen to this while you're doing something else, it's going to be tough, all right, because you're going to want to be getting out your notepad and or something and, and, and writing and writing shit down because this guy, this guy uh, knows what he's talking about. He has had quite a life of entrepreneurship. And it's quite the story to tell, in fact. And I, I, I learned quite a bit from him. I, I love that we talk so much about the idea of uh, inspiration and creative work versus, not really a versus, but inspiration and creative work as well as uh, scheduling and productivity. I mean, if you know James, he writes a lot about habit forming and stuff like that over at jamesclear.com. And he's written every uh, Monday and Thursday twice a week for over two years now. And he has uh, made a schedule out of it. And it was very interesting to talk about that idea of making art, creative work that is meaningful and impactful, but scheduling that. You know, something about that seems wrong, like you can't schedule art, but the fact is you have to schedule it. And and that's kind of, that was one of James' big points was that uh, it wouldn't happen if he didn't schedule it. And in fact, the the art, the passion, the greatness he finds sort of comes as a result of the showing up, of the showing up to do the work. You show up to do the work and sometimes genius is uncovered, is, is a quote he said in the show. So, great episode. Really excited to get to sharing that 
with you. Got a couple things first to mention. One is the mini contest. Well, it's going to be an ongoing thing, but this week is I'm giving away a copy of Seth Godin's new book, What to Do When It's Your Turn. And you can find all about how to get in on that by going to avclark.com slash contest. And show notes for this episode, link to that page I just mentioned, and everything else can be found at avclark.com slash 19, if you want to go there. And uh, James did mention some cool stuff, so go there. And there'll be a link to the contest page there if you want to win this copy of Seth Godin's new book. I've been reading it, and it's really great. It's uh, so much of what I've been thinking through lately, what I've been dealing with, Seth just nails in this book. And it's a great book. It's not just like your typical book. It's a large book, super high quality paper, full color. It's almost like a magazine. It's like a bookazine, if you will. And I'm really enjoying it. I think you will too. So if you want to win a copy of that, go to avclark.com slash contest. And there's a couple little steps you got to do. Pretty laid out, very straightforwardly. What else? What else have we got this week? Not much, really, to tell you the truth. It's been a great week. I'm excited about this show. Lots is happening. And as I like to do, um, I like to read some ratings and reviews for those of you who like that sort of thing as a way of saying thank you for doing it. A couple new ones this week. Also, our first negative review ever, okay? Got a negative one, but hey, I can't just read the good ones. I got to read the negative ones too, right? Okay, so a couple of good ones before we get to the negative one. This one is from Donnie Lawson at Donnie Law, D-O-N-N-I-E-L-A-W.com. Donnie says, I appreciate a good voice and good personalities when it comes to podcasting. This has exactly that. I look forward to it in the same way I look forward to Merlin and Dan. I'm sure Donnie's talking about Back to Work with Merlin Mann and Dan Benjamin. Uh, Donnie Merlin is going to be coming up on this show soon. So hopefully you will enjoy that conversation. Here's one from uh, Thomas Frank, who I consider a friend because we have so many mutual acquaintances, even though we've never met. He says, candid and down to earth, exactly what I want. And then his actual review is, I found this show on Corbett Barr's new blog, and it's exactly what I'm looking for in a show that focuses on, quote, interviewing entrepreneurs. I'm not generally looking for tips, tricks, hacks, inspiration, or any of the other stuff that the 5 million new podcasts that come out every week are touting. I just want to hear real conversations between people who likely think like I do or have similar interests and levels of motivation that I have. Adam's show gives me that, and I love how open he is in each intro. He doesn't worry about what people think. He just talks and lets his thoughts be known. I appreciate that. It feels less like a produced show and more like genuinely getting to know him. Bottom line, listen to the show. Well, thanks, Thomas. I do appreciate that. If you want to, you can just Google Thomas Frank. Thomas has his own website, his own video blog, and lots of great stuff. And uh, check out his own stuff, because his stuff is good, too. Um, Another one from Theo West. Theo says, In a vast sea of formulaic cheese, which tends to flood the entrepreneur podcasting world, TGM stands out big time 
as an exercise in genuine vulnerability, impeccable taste, critical thinking, and some seriously impressive interview skills. Just awesome. Hooked. Well, thanks, Theo. Again, thank you all for the reviews and the downloads and the listens. It's given me a lot to think about. It really has. I'm I'm at a point where I could make a living off of this show if I wanted to. And I'm not sure if I want to do that. I'm not sure if I want to go down the road of adding sponsors and and stuff like that. But I'm considering various options. If you have opinions on that, then feel free to email me, adam at abclark.com. I could go down the sponsorship road, or I could go down the listener-supported model, which means asking you for money, which I think, honestly, is the future of podcasting. That's another conversation, not for this show. But uh, I'm not quite sure which way which way to do it just yet. So I'm thinking about it. If you have a preference, then shoot me an email, let me know. All right, so our first negative review. I feel like I've got to do it. Got to read it. If I'm going to be fair got to do this thing this one is from alexander the greatestest literally the greatestest is how it is written out and alexander the greatestest says there's a lot of potential here he does an outstanding job being completely honest at all times he's not putting up a front admits to his faults and updates on his goals which is nice however this podcast is all but unlistenable He rants on and on way too long about things that honestly most people have no interest in. He'll go on for literally 20 minutes advertising his personal projects or something in that vein. Just listen to one of his podcasts and you'll understand. He goes way longer than he needs to, repeating himself over and over on one obvious sentiment. He needs to cut these shows down to at least a third of the total time they're at now. I feel like I've wasted my time hearing him rant about nothing at all for so long before actually getting to any valuable content. There is some valuable content to be had here, but frankly, I'd rather him edit out needless, uninformative ranting and leave the meat. It would be slightly more bearable if the guy had a captivating personality, but really, it's like hearing your neighbor go on and on and on about the weather and it just doesn't end. I'm sorry, Adam, but you have a lot to learn. I'll come back to listen once you do. Well, Alexander, the greatestest, I gotta say, I appreciate your opinion, and I thank you for the very lengthy review. I'm not as grateful for the two stars, but, you know, hey, you were being honest, and I appreciate that. Oh, I almost forgot. Fuck you, you fucking piece of shit. Where is your podcast that gets 60 fucking thousand downloads a month, okay? <clears throat> Whew, where did that come from? Jeez, I don't even know where that came from. What the hell, guys? Whew, guess I need some anger management work in there somewhere. Jeez, okay. Anyway, you are right about one thing, Alexander the Great Assist. I do have a lot to learn. But I'm choosing to learn on the job, learn in the open, as it were. Because if I waited until I didn't have anything left to learn, then I would never start. And honestly, if you wait until you don't have anything else to learn, then you've waited too long. So I'm, I'm just doing this thing. I'm winging it. I'm putting myself out there. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm shocked that any of you like this show. Honestly, 
Really, I am. I'm shocked that anyone listens. But I am very grateful to those of you that do listen. All right. Sorry about that. Had to get that out of the way. Okay. Yeah, really shouldn't have said that. Um, that just, I don't know where that came from. That just came out of out of nowhere. Uh, I apologize, Alexander the Great Assist, because I'm sure you are the great assist at whatever it is that you do. And I do appreciate the feedback. So here's my question to you guys. We're at 12 minutes or so, roughly, into the intro. Uh, do you agree with Mr. Alexander the Great Assist? You know, when I started this show, I thought, I'm going to make a show that I want to make, and I don't care if anyone listens or not. It really doesn't matter to me. I'm going to make a show that I want to make. But now there's so many, so many people, so many of you out there listening that I feel obligated. I feel obligated to you to not waste your time and do something that is interesting and informative. And despite my desire, I feel like there's a balance here between doing what I want to do and also respecting you, the listener, who are giving me your very precious time and attention. And I don't want to devalue that. So if you agree with that sentiment, if you think that you'd rather me cut out all this stuff and just get to the interview, get to the conversation, uh, let me know. I really, really would like to know. Send me an email, adam at avclark.com, and let me know what you think. Let me know uh, if you like what I'm doing here or if you don't like what I'm doing here. I don't know that I'm going to change anything because, as I say in my intro, I mean, this show's about me. It's my show. I can kind of do whatever the fuck I want with it, and that's why I do it. I enjoy it. I enjoy my rants, Alexander the Great Assist. Uh, but at the same time, I do want to respect you. So do that. Get in on the contest if you want to win this book. And that's it. That's all I've got today, guys. All right? Okay. You ready to talk to James Clear? This was a pretty great interview. I'm serious. Get your notepad. Get your iPhone out. Get ready to take some notes. Because James is a man of great wisdom. And we had a, f- a wonderful conversation. Let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Mr. James Clear. I'm a relatively new subscriber to your newsletter, new as in, I don't know, um, sometime this past fall when I discovered your blog and, and stuff like that. And um, I've heard you interviewed and, you know, read your articles and stuff, and, and you, you describe yourself as, as, well, a writer, but a lot of different things. Uh, but what is, uh, what, what's kind of your main thing? What's your, you know, what, what is your, uh, what, what's your paying the bills thing right now? Sure. So I've been an entrepreneur for four years. Uh, I built four or five different companies over the first two years, most of which ended up doing nothing or were marginally profitable and don't exist anymore. Um, There's one that's still running that I check in on every month or so um, that teaches people how to travel for free using freaking flyer miles. Um, But uh, the main thing that I do is jamesclear.com. That's taken all of or 95% of my time for the last two years. So um, yeah, if you're looking for something to focus on, uh, that's definitely the the place to go. And as far as going forward, that's where most of my effort and time will be spent um, as well. So I'm working on my first book right now uh, related to 
habits and behavior change and um, improvement and all the stuff that I write about on the site. So uh, yeah, so that's my main focus. How how is that different than the the books you have the um, especially the the one you have already called Transform Your Habits? Sure. Well, Transform Your Habits. I mean, uh, content wise, they're similar. Obviously, it's a similar topic. Transform Your Habits. I would call more of a guide. I mean, it's forty five pages. It's a just mm-hmm. a you know a short PDF that. Hopefully people find very useful and, uh, you know, a fair number of people have downloaded at this point, but, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a full length book. Whereas transform your habits is a collection of, um, let's say five to 10 ideas about how habits work and like quick ways you can implement them. It's not a comprehensive discussion of the topic by any means. Um, whereas, you know, a full length book can be more of that. And, uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, I, I asked when I asked like, you know, what, what, what do you do right now that kind of pays the bills? Um, I, I always ask that question because I'm always curious because I find a lot of people I talk to on this show are like myself, um, put ourselves in that sort of creative artist category. And oftentimes the thing that we're known for is not necessarily the thing that makes the money, you know, and like on your side, you give away all your content for free. Even your current two books there are free. And so I was just curious that if, if uh, you're focusing on this full time, if you had built some sort of business that w- that allowed you to, you know, pay the bills and 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 make James Clear as amazing as it is, or or if you found a way to actually make money from from focusing on that site. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the answer is both. You know, I was in a fortunate position in that I. Um, you know, already had a business running when I started jamesco.com two years ago. Uh, so I didn't have to make money from the site right away. Um, but the site is perfectly profitable. Um, and you know, it's not like it wasn't a six figure business last year, but hopefully it will be this year. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, I mean, it, uh, it makes money. So I, you know, enough that if I had to, I could live, I mean, I lived on, I lived on less money than jamesclear.com made last year in my yeah. first year as an entrepreneur. So it's, you know, so it's possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. The main way that I the main way that I make money from the site, if you're curious about that, uh, there's probably a couple different avenues. The first is paid speaking gigs. Um, I don't do a ton of those, and I don't necessarily want speaking to be a huge part of my business model. Mm-hmm. But uh, like one paid gig a month is sounds good to me. Um, I actually have a call after this uh, after this one with uh, a company who's interested in you know doing a paid speaking gig next month. So um, yeah, so that's one avenue. Yeah. Uh, my habits workshop is another one. So, uh, that sells for $49 a person. Um, and, uh, that I released that last January. So it's been out for a year now. Um, and over, I think over a thousand students have taken it at this point. Uh, and then let's see. Um, I do consulting occasionally, but again, I, I, I want that to be even less of the business model than speaking. Um, you know, if someone wants to do a personal coaching call or if a company has, seems like a lot of apps in particular, they're really interested in the habit stuff. Like how do we get users into the habit of, you know, downloading yeah. our app or, or, um, there'll be some of that, but not a lot. Um, and then I've done a couple with like coaches who, they have their material, they know their stuff, but they want to, they want, they want the people they're coaching to be able to build habits better. So they're interested in like improving their own educational materials. Sure. Um, so they'll hire me for, you know, a consulting gig for that. Um, 
And then, uh, yeah. And then uh, I have made a conscious decision to avoid affiliate stuff. Like I, you won't see me pitching or promoting anybody's stuff, mm-hmm. um, which I think helps me maintain editorial integrity, uh, better. And just, it just makes it even easier. Not that you, I have some friends who do it very well and I think do it, you know, with very high integrity, but, um, yeah. it's just easier for me to say no to all those things. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean. The one thing that I'll do is Amazon books. Uh, like if I, if I mention a book in an article, um, I will put the link to Amazon on there. Um, oh, okay. And cool. it, but that's the, other than that, there's no affiliate stuff. Interesting. Yeah. That, that's why I was curious because, you know, your site is, is very nicely designed and it's not littered with ads or pop-ups everywhere and you give all your content away for free. And so I was curious, uh, how that worked. And it sounds like, it sounds like the same way a lot of us do this is, you know, the, the, the main, like my podcast, for example, isn't a primary income stream, but it, it, it connects to other things that I do and builds an audience for those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing too, is I make a pretty like, I believe in having one clear call to action. And so I've made a pretty conscious decision to make sure that if you come to the site, you either get what you're looking for, which is the content. So I make it as easy as possible to like fall into the work or fall in love with the work, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only call to action you'll see is to join the email list. So other stuff like, you know, ju- purchasing the habits workshop is delivered to subscribers through email, but is not going to be a forward facing thing on the website. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed that as well. And, and, um, First of all, I just got to say, like I said, I've listened to you in other interviews and everything, and you talked about, you know, wanting to become a, you know, your your constant, you know, struggle or effort to become a better writer and everything. But, um, but man, I, I love the stuff you write. You know, it, it's very, I, I liken it to creating a, a, a three-minute pop song. Like, it's it's it takes an, an incredible amount of skill to condense something meaningful down into three minutes that is memorable and gets stuck in people's heads. And, and like Seth Godin's blog, you're, you don't write necessarily a ton of massive, you know, like 5,000 word posts, but they're always just, um, so tight, you know, like there's just, you don't waste a word if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think, you know, I, I know that, um, I've written a couple very long posts uh, on the site, not many though. And I know that generally speaking, if you talk to people, bloggers and other writers and stuff, they'll tell you longer content does better than shorter content or whatever. And I I think that that's true, but usually that longer content can be tightened. And so that's kind of where I come at it from, you know, most of the articles that I write end up being between 800 and 1600 words, somewhere Mm -hmm. in that range, usually about 10 to 1200. Um, And, I think that, you know, it should be a 2,500 word post that gets cut down to 1,200 words. Yeah. And you can give people the essence of what they want. The writing can be tighter. The storytelling can be better. Uh, and the point can be made, but you don't waste people's time. And uh, and I think the experience is better because you put more work into it. Now, th- so that's what I do on my good days. Now, you know, that's not to say that I hit the bullseye with every post, but <laughs> yeah. Um, on the on the best ones, that's sort of usually what happens is what you end up seeing is about half of what I wrote originally. Yeah, well, that, the idea of cutting, okay, that, that gets into one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about because uh, I don't know whether you're notorious for it or not, but at least I've heard you say it several times how, you know, you just committed 
to publishing an article every Monday and Thursday, just as if you were, um, as you would commit to anything as going to the gym or, or whatever it would be. And you stuck to that. And so, but I'm guessing that, uh, well, that's the question. How much, how much do you actually write? Do you, do you write every single day and, and write tons of words and what comes out on Monday and Thursday is kind of the cream of the crop of all that? Or, or what is your writing habit, if you will? Oh, I wish I could tell you that I was like six months ahead and everything was scheduled and set and stuff. <laughs> the The truth is that most of the articles that I write and I'm working on that this is part of one of my processes that I'm working on for this year is to improve this. But the truth is most of the things I write get written that day and published that day. Mm. Um, most of the uh, I don't write every day of the week. I I tried doing that actually. So um, the full story behind the, the little writing routines, pretty quick little story. I was talking to a friend of mine named Todd Henry. Todd's a published author. And uh, I was, you know, super amateur at the time, still probably pretty amateur in most regards. But um, I was talking to him then, then I said, Todd, you know, I only write whenever I feel motivated, whenever I feel inspired. What do you think of this idea that like a creative muse hits me and that's when I get my best ideas? And he was like, well, that's fine. I only write whenever I feel motivated too. It just happens to be every day at 8 a.m. Right. <laughs> and that was when I realized like, oh, this is the difference between professionals and amateurs, right? Like professionals do things on a schedule. Amateurs do things when it's easy for them or when they feel motivated, when they feel inspired to do it. And so I was like, oh, I need a schedule for myself. Well, I'm talking to another guy and he told me, oh, you should write every day or write five days a week or whatever. And I tried that for like a month and totally burn out. Um, so the caveat to this is Professionals have a schedule, but the thing that matters more than anything is having a schedule you can stick to for the long term. Mm -hmm. um, sticking to a schedule for a week or a month doesn't make that much difference over 10 years. So um, I switched to uh, writing every Monday and Thursday, and that was the first time that I tried that schedule happened to be the first post on jamesco.com. So November 12th, 2012 was a Monday. And that was when I published my first article. And then I wrote one on Thursday and then, then the Monday after that, and then Thursday after that and kept going. And, and so for two yeah. years now, um, I've stuck to that Monday, Thursday schedule. And so having a pace that you can sustain is, um, is huge. And what I've noticed, you know, it's interesting you ask like, Oh, do you just see is what we see the best of, you know, of what you've written and you write all this other stuff too. Um, I do cultivate a lot of ideas. Like I have a list of ideas right now that I, that I'm going to go through later today of about mm, two to 300 different ideas that could turn into an article. And I mm -hmm. just sort of brain dump everything there. Um, you know, whenever I get a title idea or a snippet or a thought pops in my head or I read something, whatever. So things do sit there and, you know, and germinate for a little while, um, before they get turned into an article. But I don't, I don't have articles that I've written that aren't posted. And so I guess what I'm saying yeah. is what I've realized is that there <laughs> what I've realized is that I'm a terrible judge of my own work, I guess. <laughs> and um, well, we and all if are. I, if I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think that, you know, but you, like if I publish something every Monday and Thursday, that means eight or nine posts are getting out each month. And if I write eight or nine, then I know two or three are going to be good. Now, I try my hardest every time, of course. But I can't predict which ones are going to hit and which ones aren't. Um, but I know that if I show up, there'll be a few that are there. And I kind of view it as if you show up enough times to get the average ideas out of the way, then like genius will reveal itself every now and yeah. then. 
And I th- it's very similar to training in the gym. You know, if I only went to the gym whenever I felt motivated or inspired or felt like I, you know, could hit a personal record that day, then I would never train consistently enough to get stronger. But yeah. because I go every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I know that there are going to be some days where I put up a good number. Yeah. And um, that's I think that sort of encapsulates my approach to writing and, and how I've I don't know embraced this process of every Monday and every Thursday. Well, given that, given that you just said that, um, you know, out of eight or nine posts a month, you know, hopefully a couple will hit. Um, do you ever, you know, finish a post and hit publish feeling bad about it, knowing that or at least feeling yourself like this isn't very good. This isn't really going to be valuable, but I've got to post something today. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I felt that way about yesterday's post. I, <laughs> I feel that way a lot. I, the default for me is feeling like the post is lacking. The rare thing for me is when I publish and feel like the, Oh, that's good. And I've only had that happen maybe five or six times. Well, that, 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 you know, I hate that for you, but it's encouraging to me because, um, I'm exactly the same way. And my wife could attest to the fact that almost every interview, every conversation I record, I'll end the, the recording. And it's like this sort of, uh, maybe depression is too strong of a word, but I just feel like, ah, that sucked. I just totally blew that. You know, it didn't, didn't go well at all. And, um, and uh, and I always it always makes me wonder, does everyone feel that way or, you know, do I just genuinely suck? You know, <laughs> and so it, it's yeah. interesting that you, you, you feel the same way. Um, that leads me to a question, though, that I'm curious about is, you know, your your the, the, the commitment to like the habit, the schedule, especially when it comes to things like this, like writing, podcasting, music, any sort of artistic endeavor, because um, I was the same way you were where. I felt like, you know, uh, I, I only had a certain number of good articles in me a year and the rest was just shit basically. And, and the, the struggle was, um, you know, if I, if I put my, if I sort of committed to a schedule, um, most of the time I was forcing it. And, and when I felt like I was forcing it, it just felt like it was no good. You know, like the only stuff that was good was, when something just hit me and it just kind of poured out all over the keyboard or the microphone. And so, yeah, you know, I, I still struggle with that today is, is, you know, putting yourself on a schedule seems like, like that'd be great, but what do you do when you feel like the vast majority of the stuff you put out, it just, it feels forced. It's like, you know, you're not necessarily inspired. You're just forcing yourself to do it because you committed to it. And, and, and it, to you, at least, it has that feeling of forcedness of not um, of not being that great. You know, I mean, for you, you just put it out anyway and, and hope that it resonates with someone. Uh, not necessarily. I hear you, though. So I think this is one of the, the central tensions of anybody who chooses to create and, you know, and share their work with the world. Yeah, I do agree with the, the statement that you made that, you know, you have a certain limited number of great articles in you each year or good songs that you can write or great paintings you can create or whatever. I happen to think that that number is probably much higher than what most people think it is. Um, but I agree that there's some kind of limit. And what I mean is that, you know, so for example, say that I was writing five posts a week. I don't have that many good articles in me. I, whatever that would be, 250 articles a year yeah. you know, or more. I don't there. It's not there. I can tell you it's not there because I work full time on it right now. And I know what, you know, the number of ideas I have sitting in my queue. Yeah. But, um, 
And, and so even if it was feasible for me to write about all the ideas I have, it wouldn't, it wouldn't lead up to, you know, to that number. So right. I do think that, uh, what I, what I think though about this, this idea of the schedule and producing the work on a consistent basis, even if you don't feel good about it, is that it is true that, you know, sometimes you just have that great moment where it just flows out of you and the creative muse strikes and, you know, it just feels right. And it's there. What I find though, is that that moment can often be triggered by doing the work for a little while rather than like sitting around passively and letting it hit you um, just at random. So by the, f the mere fact that I sit down to write every Monday and Thursday means that there are going to be some of those days when I get struck with a great idea and chase it down that rabbit hole and really get into the work. But that wouldn't have happened had I not sat down to write that day. Um, and so I think that's probably one of the, the lessons for me is that you, you know, there's this thing called the equal odds rule. And I don't know if it's a rule or a law of the universe so much as a theory, but the, <laughs> the basic idea is that any, the, the, where it came from was looking at scientific research. They looked at, uh, they looked at all the research studies that, um, that different scientists put out and they found that. And then they matched them up to like how well known the scientist was. Mm -hmm. And they found that regardless of the scientist's reputation or experience, any given like any single piece of research had an equal chance and it had equal odds of becoming an important piece of research. In other words, there was no pattern. You couldn't predict it. And so the only way to increase your odds of creating some piece of research that was compelling and useful and important in your field was to do more, Just was do to, more, to produce yeah. on a consistent basis. And I think that that's that's very true for, you know, for a lot of creative uh, endeavors. You know, I mean, there's there's some kind of quality bar, I guess that's the but after that, it comes down to consistency. And I think that that's that's sort of what I learned as well. You know, for me, the quality bar five days a week didn't didn't match that quality. I couldn't put out something at that level. Two yeah. days a week, I could. And sometimes I consider backing it off to one day a week so that maybe I could dive into an article you know, deeper and do, do better work on one article rather than two. But um, once you hit that quality bar that you're satisfied with, because no one else can really decide what that is, you have to choose it for yourself, um, then it comes down to are you doing it every week? And if you wait around for creativity and inspiration to hit you, it's not going to be there every week. So that's why I think you need to have the schedule. Yeah. Well, okay. So two things I want to follow up on that with one is the quality bar, but the other thing was when you talked about how, um, often those moments of inspiration or whatever can be triggered. Um, when you said that, does that mean that, um, you sit down to write and you just start writing and, and, you know, 15 minutes in 20 minutes in a page in at whatever point, just, just the act of, of starting the writing and getting your thoughts down on a page leads to something. Is, is that what you were saying by that? Um, yes, but for me, the process doesn't look like that as much because I try to operate at like the intersection of ideas. I think that's where interesting things happen and where, you know, innovative ideas or useful articles come is the, the intersection of, of multiple things. And you'll see that a lot in my work and in my articles. So like, you know, yesterday I wrote about the main idea that I was going to get across in the post. The thing I wanted to write about is this idea that you should put creative work first in your life and do the reactive stuff later. So you should make carve out some time and space to work on 
the important stuff, um, the, the strategic creative work, the deep focused work, and then the things that typically distract you like email and social media and blah, 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 that stuff should be later in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the main, the main point I wanted to make, but the way that, the way that I made the point, um, was by talking about Olympic swimmers and how they reduce drag in the water and then translating that into reducing mental drag in your life and in your work habits. And so, uh, that was interesting to me, this, this intersection of ideas. And so what I mean is that when you ask about, oh, how do you just sit down and start writing and then something comes out, what I usually end up doing is looking at the list of ideas that I've collected from reading and just, you know, thinking in other posts and just over time and then try to match up two of those ideas. Hmm. And once I start looking for connections between things, that's when the creativity starts to spark for me a little bit. Yeah. I, I wonder too, though, if, if part of that, part of why you're such a good writer and, and why these things are so engaging is exactly that. Like you don't set out to teach people or at least directly, you know, here are the three things that I'm going to write about today. Like you, you, you pick, like you just said, Olympic swimmers, you take this other thing that, that may seem on the surface unrelated and, and build a story out of it that gets the point across without, explicitly necessarily saying at least at the beginning you know um or titling it how how to xyz you know and and i Mm. find that kind of content much more compelling i mean people i mean there's scientific proof that stories are far more engaging and so i mean was that intentional like that whole concept what i just said was that intentional or did it just that's just who you are you stumbled upon it kind of it's intentional now. It wasn't in the beginning for sure. I think you're right. Stories are very engaging. And I have been thinking a lot more about stories over the last year than I did say in the first year of my writing. Mm-hmm. What happened was I looked back on the first like 18 months of articles that I had created. And I found out that pretty much like 90% of the most popular articles all started with a story. And I was like, hmm, maybe there's, maybe there's something there. Maybe I shouldn't just say the idea that I have. Maybe I should exactly. you know, engage people a little bit or, or give an, a given example. And I think Also, it's not just entertaining people. Um, The other thing that I think is really important about it is that it provides a mental model for the idea in practice. And that, I think, is very useful when it comes to behavior change and actually helping people improve their lives in some way or providing value to them is giving them a construct or a role model to look at what the idea looks like when it's living in the real world. Mm -hmm. Because it can be really Mm -hmm. easy to talk about theory or share some type of scientific research and then not do the hard work of showing people how to bridge the gap between that and practical everyday life. And stories help do that in a really good way. Um, if you can show people or tell people a story about someone who implemented this or, you know, use the main idea of the post in some way, then it becomes more tangible. So I've heard you mention before that you, you know, you had the, the, the stuff you talk about and write about habits and change and all that kind of stuff. That was all in your head for a long time before you ever got to James Clear like that. That was in your head when you were doing those other businesses. And I was very curious to know if if that if you did those other businesses first intentionally, like like why why you didn't just jump right into James Clear. And if all that was in your head, like um, if that was strategic or, or just that story, what that's about. Yeah, the short answer is I was a big wimp and didn't want to work on the thing that I knew was most important to me because I was worried that I would fail. But the <laughs> what happened was I. 
I knew that I cared about jamesclear.com. When I first started, I, it was going to be this intersection between health and fitness and habits. Now it's expanded to the intersection of, you know, improvement in a variety of areas of life, creativity, health, uh, productivity, work, meaningful work, all that stuff, mm -hmm. um, and habits, but it was going to be mostly a health focused, uh, piece at first. Um, or more health focused, I should say. Now I still publish about, you know, I'll write about my squat routine or lessons learned from the gym and all that stuff. But, yeah. um, anyway, I knew that that was what I cared about in the beginning. I, I was an athlete my whole life. I worked at a medical practice in between my first and second year of grad school. So I had all these different touch, touch points with health and wellness. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. But my thought was I have no entrepreneurs in my family. I've never been an entrepreneur before. I have no idea what I'm doing. And whatever I do first will probably be bad. And so I don't want it to be the thing that I really care about. Um, <laughs> whether or not that was a good idea, I don't know. I mean, you know, I did what I did and, and we're here now. But um, I spent those first two years building other things and trying to cut my teeth, so to speak, and develop a skill set that I could actually apply. Now, it did come it, it did it was very helpful you know maybe if i've been working on this for four years three years or four years now you know the site would be bigger and more successful so who knows maybe i you know maybe i made the wrong choice but i did um i did have an advantage in the beginning with jamesclear.com because i had because i had already built some other websites you know four years ago i really had no idea what i was doing but after two years of entrepreneurship you know i've learned some things and so when i started this site uh I started it from scratch, but I had already built uh, an email list up to 20,000 people on a different website uh, for, you know, for different stuff before that. So mm, yeah. I knew I knew what was important. I knew how to design the site. I knew, you know, I, you know, I knew the steps to take. And it was more about doing great work than figuring out all the things that I didn't know I didn't know. Yeah. Um, you know, now I've been fortunate in that jamesco.com has grown really quickly anyway. Uh, and, you know, it's been the, the most successful or fastest growing project I've had. Um, but I don't think I would have gone from, you know, zero to 100,000 subscribers in two years had I not done that stuff before. Because yeah. I would have, you know, had a period of time where I had to figure stuff out. Well, it sounds like there's a little bit of confliction there. Like you just said, maybe you made the wrong choice. You're not sure. You know, if you could rewind back and and do it differently, I mean, it sounds like you did you did it you did it the right way. Like it's worked out for you. But are you conflicted there? Like, would you do something different if you could uh, could, could go back and and do it differently? No, I don't think I'm conflicted. I feel fine with the decision. I'm, I'm happy that I did it the way I did. I wouldn't change it or do it differently if I had to do it over again. Um, my first statement was simply a reference to the fact that no one can really know, right? Maybe it sure. would have been a better decision had I done it some other way. But uh, but I feel fine about it. I mean, there's no there's no uh, remaining, I don't know, angst or anything about the decision making. I'm I'm just moving forward now and everything's great. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, is that a process that you would recommend to people? Like if someone is just starting out in entrepreneurship and they already know what they want to do and want to make, um, would you recommend and say it's advantageous to to do something else first, you know, and, and get your feet wet and kind of do some of your failing and making some of your mistakes and, and then do the thing you really want to do um, or, or just dive in? Uh, I, so I don't necessarily think that you have to do it the way I did where, you know, you do something else first and make the mistakes there and then come over. Um, you can start with the thing that you really like, but I think the conversation that most people have should probably be adjusted. The conversation that most people have is something around, 
is this what I'm passionate about? Do I really care about this? Does this project light me on fire? All that type of stuff. And those things are great. But I think what the conversation should be is what skills do I need to succeed and what am I doing to develop that skill set? And if you look at what I did, that's what the first two years were spent doing was developing a valuable skill set that could be useful for the thing that I was trying to create. And no matter what task or project you're working on, there's some skill associated with it. And you need to figure out what that skill is and how you can build it. The conversation should be about that. How do I develop skills? How do I move toward mastery rather than how do I find something that I'm really passionate about? Um, Uh, You know, I think that you should care about the thing you're working on. But the funny thing, at least in my experience, is that I've never met anybody who's become passionate about something just by like sitting around and thinking about it. It's not (laughs) passion. Something for me, at least passion is a result of investing myself in a process or a behavior or a cause. You know, like I, I played baseball for 17 years. Um, and uh, my senior, after my senior year of college, ended up having a great year. I was an academic All-American. Our team had a really great season. I was incredibly passionate about that, more passionate than almost anything else that I've done. But the reason that I felt that way is not because I sat around and thought about how much I loved baseball or sports or whatever. It's because I put 17 years of work in. And when I looked back on all that time that I spent and the skills that I gained and what happened, you know, the relationships that I built, the teammates that I had, that was the stuff that caused the passion to happen. It came after, not before. So this idea of like starting with passion doesn't make a ton of sense to me. It's, it's possible, I'm sure. And there are probably examples of people who either through luck or circumstance, or maybe they just happen to be the type of person who knows, and I'm not that type of person, um, start, we're able to start with passion. But for most people, I think it's much more valuable to start with skills and focus on that and move toward mastery rather than moving toward, um, you know, the passionate pursuit of, of something. Yeah, I I think you're totally right because that whole passionate pursuit stuff that, you know, that lends itself to sitting around and thinking and dreaming and planning and, and questioning in this endless thought cycle, whereas focusing on skills, um, um, forces you into action, which, you know, seems like a foundational, the foundational thing here is that you've got to be doing stuff and not just thinking about it. You know, the more the more, you know, darts you throw at the board, the more m- more chances you're going to have that one's going to land. Sure. And these things are not mutually exclusive, right? When you say like you should be focused on skills, that doesn't mean you're forced into choosing something you hate. I mean, there are, sure, yeah. there are plenty of things that you enjoy or that seem reasonable, but it's just that where you focus your attention and energy is different. And yeah. that I think is, I guess the, the point I'm trying to make. And for me, that meant working on some other projects first and developing that skill set. And there was a lot of, you know, I don't know if I want to call it heartache, but it challenges at least, you know, I mean, there's challenges for every entrepreneur, uh, during that period. And there's still, you know, plenty that pop up different ones now than in the beginning, but, yeah. um, so it's going to be a challenging period, but, uh, the focus was on, was on skills and, and not yeah. something else. Yeah, definitely. Well, if you knew in your head, you know, that you, you wanted to be a writer and this vision of jamesclear.com, even if it wasn't, even if it didn't end up exactly as you initially thought, you know, you said you, you spent some time there trying to develop the skills that you would need to make this business, which is primarily content driven. 
I'm really curious to know what were those skills that you knew you needed to develop? Like, did you did you work on becoming a better writer or was it more businessy stuff? Like, what, what were those skills? Yeah, well, in the beginning, it's super high level stuff for me, at least. How do I get a website online? I didn't yeah. know how to do that. So I had to teach myself how to program and code. And I, you know, I don't know. I'm not a programmer still. I can do, you know, a few things and I, I built my own websites and stuff. But I had to learn how to do that because I didn't have money to pay someone to build a website in the beginning. Um, so how do I build a website? That was one. How do I start an email list? So I had to figure out how to implement that. And like, where do I copy and paste the code and all those things? Um, how do I track website visitors? What, what, what yeah. do you people use to, you know, track traffic? And then what does that <laughs> yeah. data mean? Um, yeah. so I had to, had to do that stuff. And then, um, how do blogs work? How long should blog posts be? How should posts be structured? What type of information do I want to write about? And what type of things do people want to read about? So there's a lot of research on that angle. And then if you want to dive deeper into the skill set, it's like, what's my voice? Right. Uh, you know, what do I not only what do I want to buy, write about, but what style do I want to write in? That's so such a hard that's that's a hard thing right yeah. there for me. Yeah, it's very it's very difficult. And that takes that takes time. I mean, I've heard people say before that finding your voice takes six months. I think it might take longer than that. It might take 18 or two years, <laughs> um, you know, and oh, I'm yeah. still I'm still finding my voice to some degree. I mean, I have a style now that I sort of fall in most of the time, but um but I, I still think that it can be tweaked and improved and and cultivated to some degree. So that that stuff takes a long time. Um, yeah, I'd I'd really like to know what the um, when you when you said you talked about um, uh, what does a blog look like and how long should articles be and what should it be about and what do people want to read? You know, that stuff is just so fascinating to me. Like, how did you research that stuff? Uh, were there books that you read or you know how did you go about that as someone who was starting from not knowing what to do. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, different questions have different answers for each one of these things. But the the first thing that you can do is look at the people who are already successful online. So, you know, research the top 100 blogs in your space or whatever the list is and look at them all and see which ones you resonate with and which ones you don't see, which ones are doing things in a way that seems, you know, reasonable or, or uh, desirable to you. And then look at that list and, you know, take a look at what do they have in their navigation? How is their, you know, their actual site laid out? Where you, where do they put different things? Um, you know, which, what calls to action are a focus on the screen and which things aren't, uh, what do they mention? What do they push back on, you know, some back page that most people don't see? Um, so that's, that's one way, I guess you could call it reverse engineering, yeah. um, or you know, just sort of looking at, at what the best practices are in a space. Um, one thing that I, a caveat that I'll say about that is that there is this huge copycat space online. I mean, everybody's oh, totally. just more or less plucking yeah. things from, from everyone else. So I think the best approach is if you, you know, if you have something you want to use from somebody's site, just shoot them a quick email and say, Hey, I really like how you laid this thing out. Or I like the title that you have on your sidebar or whatever. I'm thinking about using something similar for my site. Are you okay with that? Um, or you can, you know, you can do that. And I, I just did that yesterday actually with this button text that I was thinking about using. Um, the other thing you can do is I created a thank you page. So it's down in the footer of my website. And if you click on it, it lists all the people who have inspired or influenced my work in some way. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, I don't know. I, I don't see anybody else doing it. It's probably not that big of a deal, but I think it's nice to at least, you know, give somebody a, a tip of your cap, so to speak, to sure. say, I, you know, I'm a, what I'm creating has built upon what they've done a little bit. So yeah. anyway, that's just a, a side note, but 
No, I, um, I agree with so, you. The, the, the copycat culture is, <clears throat> it, it, it's so, yeah, it, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, it, I don't know if you're a big podcast listener. Um, I am, obviously, I make one, but um, it's just, you know, you go to iTunes and it's, especially in the business space, every show is the exact same thing. It's all the exact mm-hmm. same stuff and the same people and the same everything. And, and I really tried to do something different. And, and I think I've accomplished that to some degree, but it's, uh, that, that whole concept of like trying to figure out what your voice is and how you're going to do this and, and do it in a, I mean, that leads me to a question. I mean, the whole topic of habits and habit forming and change and, and all that stuff. I mean, that's not a new topic. I mean, you, you were interested in that, uh, and there were already very famous blogs and books and all that stuff out there about that. Did that ever scare you? Did that ever make you question, like, um, should I do this because it's already a very crowded space? I've completely changed my tune on this. Uh, you know, when I was, or I guess I should say I haven't changed my tune. I wasn't, nobody was asking me about the question early on. Um, I, I, uh, I've learned that, I guess, or have taken a different stance. And what I mean is that there was this period of time where I thought, oh, I need to find my unique niche. I yeah. need to like be different, you know, like so different that, that nobody else has done what I'm doing before. I actually don't think that's true. I mean, I, I'm going to bring my own unique flavor to the conversation that we're talking about, to the, you know, to the idea of habits mm-hmm. and building habits that stick to process improvement, to, you know, science-based ideas for living a better life. I'll, I'll bring my own, you know, touch to that. It's just going to come through in my writing because I'm the person writing it. So, yeah. but as far as like whether or not I would avoid an industry based on how much competition there is, I actually would prefer industries where there's a lot of competition because it, it shows that it's important that, that people care about it, that it's something people are willing to pay for. Right. Um, you know, I would rather have a very big pie that I could carve out a little slice of rather than trying to create a new pie from scratch and hoping someone wants to eat it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, which is what, a lot of people who are trying this like super niche stuff are trying to do. They, they don't have any idea whether or not it works. And when people point to, um, when people point to companies that redefined industries or whatever, like PayPal, they're like, well, they did something completely new. They carved out a totally different niche. Well, not really people. The niche that they wanted to go into was people needing to pay each other money, which they've been doing for centuries, right? <laughs> right. Like they're, yeah. they just happen to come up with their own spin on it. They're not, they're going after a very competitive industry. When they started, they were competing against banks, competing everybody else, right? Like all these different forms of transferring money. Um, and no one was doing it in the way they did and it ended up sticking and they did, you know, they've become this amazing billion dollar company because of it. But the main thing that they were going after was actually a very big market that yeah. had a lot of different players in it. And I think that that's, that's important. That's one thing that I love about habits, actually. And one reason I chose it as something that I, I say I chose it like I had this list of things that I was thinking about and selected that. It didn't really work that way. Yeah. I was just sort of naturally gravitated toward that. Yeah. But one of the reasons is because it applies to everything. Like I'm very interested in a wide range of topics. And so I don't want to get bored with one thing, you know, like if I was just writing about, like I've spent a lot of time in the last year and a half thinking about squat form in the gym. Well, yeah. that's great. But if I just had a fitness site where I only wrote about like form and technique, then I would be bored by now because I would have covered everything in those 18 months. And then it's just comes down to, are you getting in the gym and doing the work? Yeah. Um, whereas habits is a very large wide ranging topic and it gives me a lot of space to work on different things. But 
anyway, no, the, the competition didn't scare me. And the one quote that keeps coming to mind comes from a friend of mine named Dane Maxwell. And he said that, um, the, the level of fear that you feel about competition is usually a reflection of your marketing ability. In other words, if you know that you're a world-class marketer and that you're amazing, you're not, competition doesn't scare you at all. All you see is a big opportunity. You see a lot of people buying stuff and you're like, yes, I can market to them. Yeah. If you're completely new in the space and don't have a, a skill set, then you look at that and you're like, oh man, how am I going to compete with these guys? Like they're so much more advanced than me. But the good thing, the great thing about this is that skills can be learned. Marketing can be learned. Writing can be learned. Like any of this stuff can be developed. So I don't think it's a reason to avoid an industry. It's just an indication that you need to develop a skill set. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's never a fear of um, like, how am I going to compete? It's a... Um, wanting to wanting to add value you know and one want, not wanting to just add more noise you know not wanting to do something else that's mm. already been done that i have nothing nothing unique to add to it's not like you know i can't compete with that guy or this podcast or whatever it like it really comes down to um is what i'm doing different enough that that's actually adding value to the world and not just more of the same you know what i mean Sure. I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair thing to wonder. And, you know, it's something I think about a fair amount as well. Um, I guess the couple things I would say, one, everything can always be improved. Um, yeah. you know, you can find a way to, to tweak and improve messages and, and ideas. Um, if you don't actually have something to contribute or something more to add to the conversation, then point the service that you can do that really is very useful for people is pointing them to the person that is the best in that industry. So that could be, you know, if you want to look at it as a, from a business model, you could point them to the best book on Amazon, um, or whatever, you know, whatever the topic is or the best online course about a particular topic. Sure. But people, if you don't tell them about it, they're going to do their own research or some, take based on somebody else's recommendation or something that, you know, an ad, an ad that they see that comes across their Facebook feed or on a billboard or whatever. And if they make the decision based on some of those other factors, they probably won't end up in the best place, but you can provide a great service to people by just showing them what the best option is because you already put in the research. So although it yeah. seems old to you because you're like, oh, I already know all this stuff. I don't have anything new to add. It's new to somebody else. And there's always, you know, every year there's a set of 18 year olds that turn 19 and 19 year olds that turn 20 and so <laughs> yeah. on. People who are getting older and looking for that information now. Right. Um, yeah. And so there's always a new group of humans, so to speak who the information is fresh for and you can help serve them by, by pointing them in the right direction, even if you don't have something valuable to add to it. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point, which I hadn't, hadn't thought about exactly. But, um, well, one, one more thing I wanted to talk to you about before we wrap up here is, um, uh, you, you are, you're also known a bit for your photography, you know, it's on your website and, and I meant to ask you this at the very beginning of the show, <laughs> but I forgot. Um, you list on your page that you, uh, you use the Canon 40 millimeter pancake lens, which I just got two weeks ago and I'm loving. Cool. And I was, I, I wanted to know, uh, this is just total, my personal curiosity. Um, uh, what, what you love so much about that, uh, that lens over, you know, when you're going, when you're traveling and shooting, you know, why that one? Yeah. The reason I love it so much is because it's so small. Uh, it is. Know, I'm sure you yeah. saw as soon as you took it out of the box, but it's, it's so tight and compact, especially on the 6D, which is what I shoot with. Yeah. Um, you know, that camera is a great camera, but it's also a little smaller and lighter than the 5D. So 
with that setup of the 40 millimeter and uh, the 6D, it, you have a really lightweight setup that can fit in a backpack uh, very easily. And I am not a huge like gearhead when it comes to uh, uh, photography equipment and photography yeah. gear. Now there there are advantages that certain pieces of gear can provide you for creating you know a new a unique looking piece of art. But um, the reason that I like the the forty millimeter setup is because it's so lightweight and travels so easily. And then it just becomes about okay, I have my camera on me at all times. Can I take something decent? Yeah. Um, can I create some decent work? And and all art is created within some kind of constraint. So of course there are shots I can't get with the 40 millimeter shots that, uh, don't come out the way I wish they would have if I had a 200 millimeter lens on me or whatever. But, um, but it's, it's versatile enough that I can use it in almost any situation. If I need to make a landscape out of it, I can, if I got to take a portrait, I can just get up real close. Um, but it's also super lightweight and convenient to travel with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I was just curious because I just picked it up and, and was really enjoying it. And you happened to, mentioned on your page there but the main reason i brought up the photography is is i just i heard you say um uh, somewhere in an article or a blog post that um uh you didn't um i can't remember how you phrased it but like you didn't you didn't want to turn the photography into a job like you didn't want to attach an income to it because you were afraid that would ruin it and that's that's a um, I'm not going to give a 10 minute explanation here. I'll just say that's a sentence I've said to myself so many times about different things. And I wondered if you could just expand on that for a minute here. Yeah, my thought was uh, I didn't want photography. Photography was something that I never expected to get into. Um, I mentioned earlier, I was an athlete growing up. I, I really, I was, I love playing sports. I was, uh, athletic and I was a big geek and love school. Um, that was, yeah. that was kind of the, the two things I spent time on. So I, I loved learning and I love playing sports and I did not view myself as an artistic type of person. Um, I didn't, you know, I don't play a musical instrument. I never really took, you know, a bunch of art classes or painted or drew or anything like that. So creativity was something that although I maybe was a creative thinker and didn't realize it. Um, I, and I think that's probably true for pretty much everyone. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't see myself as a creative. And so I've moved to Scotland and I was going over there to, to live there for a little while. And I thought, well, I should buy a camera. And so I bought this, this camera, uh, because I thought the landscape would be pretty, I should take a few photos while I live over there. And within the first year I took over a hundred thousand pictures. I just wow. ended up completely falling in love with it. And I did not expect that at all. And, uh, and so I guess what I, what I was saying when I said that phrase is that I didn't expect to love this creative task. And it was very much a hobby and something I just sort of did cause I enjoyed it. Like my brain, I can literally, when I'm processing photos, sometimes like feel my brain shut off. I'm not in strategic thinking mode or, you know, analytical mm-hmm. reasoning mode that I'm usually in for my business. I'm, I'm somewhere else. It's, it's a, you know, de-stressor. It's a creative task. It's something that's different. And I love that about it. And I didn't want to turn it into an analytical thing where I was like, how many, how much, you know, what are the dollars and cents that I'm bringing in from this? Yeah. Or, uh, how many clients do I have right now? You know, how many weddings am I going to shoot next summer or whatever? Like, I don't want to do any of that stuff. I don't want to shoot weddings. I don't want to shoot senior portraits. I don't want to worry about <laughs> the fees that my gallery is making. I just want to create art because I really like that. And yeah. Um, although I am an entrepreneur and I <laughs> tend to look for business opportunities in, you know, in most of the things that I'm creating and, and everything. And yeah. To, yeah. You know, like you see that stuff everywhere. Um, 
I don't want photography to be like that. I think it's I think it's cool. I think it's okay to just have a hobby that you do because you love it and not because it needs to make money. Yeah. And uh, I kind of I like that. And I also like that I get to be literally I can be completely artistic with it because I don't have anybody to answer to. I don't yeah. have really an audience to answer to. I don't have customers to answer to. I can do whatever I want with it. And then I just put it up on my photography page if I like it. And that's, that's where it's at. And I, maybe it'll turn into something different. I mean, I, I have some uh, readers who are asking for a photo book of my Morocco pictures, for example, or, you know, a print of, of this or that. And that's nice. Uh, it's not a major part of the business by any means now. Maybe I'll make some photo books down the line just for fun. But uh, right now, I, I just think that's the best place for it to be for me is, is as something that I do because I enjoy it and not because uh, it'll make me money. Yeah, well, I ask that because um, I'm the same way as you. Being an entrepreneur, as you said, um, part of the fun and the thrill of it is just coming up with new ways to make money. And and you kind of see those ideas everywhere. And and most of the things that I've started with the intention of making money have ended up going nowhere. And and the things that I start with the in, with without that intention that I just start because. I want to make something that I would enjoy. Those things tend to blow up and, and then you, then you, <laughs> then you have the potential to make money with them. And then you're faced with that yeah. tension of, okay, mm-hmm. now I could make money with this, but if I go down that road, am I going to ruin it? Am I going to just turn into a job that I end up hating? So in your case, do you wake up every day and enjoy what you're doing there or has it turned into a job for you? Uh, it's turned into a craft for me. And that, that I think is probably the best thing I could have asked it to turn into, you know, like I'm at the point now where I have a a sizable audience that I feel responsibility to, uh, Mm -hmm. to deliver something of value and something useful to each week. And we're all in it together. I mean, you know, we're on this journey, this like slow march to greatness or this slow process of improvement. And I'm in the thick of it with them, you know, like I'm trying stuff out in the real world and then I get to write about it a little bit. I get to look up the science on it and share those ideas and I get to try to blend useful and interesting stories in there to to make it all, you know, sort of come together. And for me, on my best days, when things all come together, the article is like a piece of art. You know, it's this it's this craft, this thing that I created that I can feel proud of. And um, my hope is that I can work and build a team around me that can make that every day and not just the best yeah. days because that's, that's awesome. I think that that's something more than anything, you know, in a hundred years, nobody's going to care how many readers or how many subscribers I have. But if you create a piece of work that is, you know, that is art, that is beauty, that is something valuable that stands the test of time, then maybe that'll still be around for someone to enjoy. I look at, at, you know, books like meditations by Marcus Aurelius he wrote that 2000 years ago and I wrote about it last year. And it's like, yeah. what would it be like to create something that valuable? You know, that, that <laughs> ever that useful that people quoted 2000 years from now that I think is, is the mark of whether or not you're really doing meaningful work and leaving your mark on humanity and sharing something that, that people can latch onto and, and think about and, you know, use in, in ways that you'll never end up seeing. I had a, re- I had a reader send me a, a message on Twitter this morning that said he went to the doctor's office and while he was in the lobby, he looked up on the wall and they had printed out a quote from one of my articles and laminated it and had it on the wall. And <laughs> nice. I was, you know, I mean, he's just in the right place at the right time, but 
How cool is that? You know, like yeah. I'm never going to hear about that. Nobody at that office said has said a thing to me. And there it is making a difference in somebody's life. And that that I think is like that's why you do this stuff. You know, like that's why that's why I continue to write. That's why I want to make something that's a work of art each day so that there can be someone out there who has a family or who's starting their own small business or who's trying to make their mark on the world in some way. And you can help them, you know, leave a dent in their little corner of the universe. And that, yeah. that I think is what, you know, what it's all about. And, um, so hope, hopefully, uh, things keep moving along and, and I can do more of that. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, your, your book that you're working on now, is that, um, are you far enough into it that you, you kind of know when that's, uh, going to come out and, and kind of have a frame around it or, or not yet really? Uh, I wish I could tell you yes on an exact date, but all I can say is 2015. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be about small improvements and consistency and building habits that stick. So, uh, I'm excited to share it and, and, uh, yeah, hopefully people love it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, thanks James for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And thanks for the time and talking to me about this stuff. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to do it. And uh, as a final note, if if people want more on habit formation and are interested in, I don't know, just sort of some exercises they can do as well as a summary of the science of how habits are formed and stick and stuff, I put all that together in a free guide called Transform Your Habits, and they can download that at jamesclear.com slash habits. Well, that's it. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks, James, for coming on the show. Great conversation. What a great guy. Check out his blog at jamesclear.com. All the show notes and everything we mentioned are available at abclark.com slash 19. And again, guys, I apologize for the intro. I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, it is what it is. It's over. Okay. Don't let that stop you from leaving a review, even a negative one. Leave me another negative review. I will read it as well. I promise. Although I don't know if you'll want me to at this point. Nevertheless, follow along on Twitter. I'm AP Clark on Twitter, Facebook, facebook.com slash TGM podcast. And what else? I think that's I think that's it for the week. Don't have much else. Hope you have a good rest of the week. Come back on Friday for that episode. And we've got some great episodes next week. I'm not going to spoil the surprise. I'm just going to tell you. Great episodes coming up. Um... The court of oh, the contest. All right. If you want to get Seth Godin's new book, What to Do When It's Your Turn, then go to avclark.com slash contest. Get in on it and get that book. All right. Okay. As always, thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>